Hey guys, how's it going out there? Thanks for tuning in to the YFYI podcast. I'm your host, Sunny D, and today's episode, what is it about? It's about branding, it's about building, and it's about taking a 30,000 foot view of the story time pivot as we're going into some new topics, covering some of the most iconic brands and companies that I've personally picked out of the library, things that I'll be talking about over the next several episodes. So let's take a little view of some of the best brands and how they do it. And now it's time for the podcast. All right, here we go, here we go. Good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You know what time it is. Let's see here. I'm trying to get our Oh, I'm trying to get our our Facebook stream. I think I just crashed Facebook. Oh no. <laughs> Just crashed Facebook, just threw the mic on the floor, off to a great start. Good morning, Instagram. Good morning, podcast. Good morning, Twitter. Live, 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 live. Let's do it live. Today is May 8th, 2020. And we are back for another story time, just trying to figure out technology still. You would think after 25 episodes I would have it down by now, but apparently that's not the case. Hope you guys are doing good this morning. Hope you got some coffee, whatever you're into. I've got coffee this morning. I've been kind of alternating between coffee and tea. Uh, So this morning I'm going going for some coffee. Share the stream, share the the post, share the live with your friends, with your coworkers, with your peeps. I don't know if you guys saw what was going down yesterday. We have a uh, a beauty industry update. So there is a salon owner in Texas. She was freed from jail yesterday and when she came out, I mean there are people out there with balloons, people out there just cheering and clapping and like uh, giving her a, giving her just a tremendous amount of love because she went to um, she went to jail because she was like I'm opening my salon and she was like yeah I'm I'm opening I have to got kids to feed stylist got kids to feed and she decided to uh, go against the executive order which was stay at home keep the businesses closed. And uh, yeah, so she and they came to her salon and they were like, we're going to have to give you a fine, this and that. And she was like, you can do whatever you want, but I'm staying open. So she decided to stay open. And then she went to court and then the judge was like, oh, um, <clears throat> you were being selfish and da 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 da. And, you, sh- you know, you shouldn't have done that. And so she was going back at the judge just like, well, you know, if you think 
you know, trying to feed my, my kids and help my stylist feed their kids is being selfish. That's what you think. But she's like, I don't, I don't see it that way. And so they had some back and forth, which one of the things that was weird, which maybe some of you guys might know why, but she had like her phone. She was wearing like the mask in court, which here's the, here's the thing on the mask. All right. I, I understand the mask, right? But like the judge is sitting there. There's nobody within probably 20 feet of him. He's got his mask on. She's got her mask on. All right, whatever. I mean, is it, I mean, you know, like no one's, if no one's around you, you know, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's just, that's the way it's going down. But if no one's around you, if you're not going to come into contact with anybody, then, you know, do you necessarily have to have the mask on? I don't know. I don't know, but that's what was going down. They're in the court, masked up, but she had the phone to her face. Like she was, you know, in the you know courtroom talking like into the phone. I don't know what that was about. If any of you guys know what that was about, let me know. I don't have any idea. I just know that she was talking into the phone and I'm thinking like, can, is this some kind of hearing thing? Is it a, you know, like sometimes they have those hearing, is the judge, is the judge hearing impaired? And she had to speak into this. It was connected to some app that's going into his ear. I mean, you could see in the shot, she was there and he was there. Was she doing a podcast? Let's see, because they said it can travel more than required six feet, especially if you're yelling, singing, etc. Okay, I got that. So what about, I mean, the people that are driving around? Because, I mean, I've, I've seen, like, I get if, if they're in the room, but if the ju- if you're um, the judge, I guess he's in the room, so that makes sense. But what about, like, the people driving around by themselves? I don't know. I see I see them wearing wearing these masks. So I'm wondering, I mean, what about, uh, what about that? I mean, I'm just kind of wondering and I'm kind of wondering because sometimes I'm seeing people, you know, wearing them and then sometimes I'm not seeing people wearing them and then looking at, you know, places I'm going, there's like, you know, there's, there's like, for example, I was at the, uh, I was at the store, right? And I, I saw somebody, right? So they had the gloves on. And they're handling everyone's cash, you know, in and out of the register with the same pair of gloves. So I'm just wondering, like, what is it just a is it a mental thing where they're thinking, well, I'm not touching anybody's money. But I'm I'm exchanging money with multiple people with the same pair of gloves on. So is it just for you to protect? Like, I guess I don't know. Um, But I I was just kind of wondering, like, what is the what is the thing like but anyway they were um they were in the courtroom and they uh they were in the courtroom and she was you know telling the judge like here's the deal like i don't think it's selfish you know trying to feed my kids and trying to help my stylist feed your kids and so he wanted her to apologize or not even apologize. It was like he wanted her to, I guess, admit that she was being selfish and then he was going to be lenient on her. 
And so that's when she started explaining, like trying to feed my kids and trying to help um, help my stylist, you know, feed their kids and take care of their families, not selfish. And he didn't like that answer at all. So, so he was like, oh, really? And uh, off to jail she went, which I mean, that was a little harsh. I mean, going to jail, maybe a fine. Yes, there needs to be law and order, but did he have to go that hard on her? So anyway, fast forward, now that happens. And then like the next day or so, then the governor was gonna be allowing barber shops and salons to open up, like as of like today. Um, and then so all that happens. So then the Supreme Court gets involved, overrules and says, hey, listen, uh, let her out of jail. You know, they're, they're gonna be allowing the governors allowing the salons and barbershops to start opening so you know was it an excessive use of his power that's kind of part of the argument maybe it was should she have followed the order uh yes she probably should have i don't know so, but it was, um, it was, it was cool though. I mean, her community came out and were supporting her when she came out. They're out there, you know, cheering and yelling. And I mean, she was teared up. She was crying and it was emotional. I mean, it's, you know, here's the thing. You have a business, right? For most people, when you start a business, um, that business is all consuming. So that business really, it becomes like your life. It becomes like everything that you do um, involves. It's, it's just like, you know, it's like a, it's like a, you know, it's like a child, right? You start it, it's brand new. It doesn't really, you know, you don't know what's going on. You don't know how to do it. It's like you're a parent and the, the business doesn't know how to behave and act. And then you watch it mature and it grows and it starts to flourish. And, you know, you're watching all this happen and it's really, it becomes a part of your, your family. And then you're, you know, you have customers and those customers become a part of your family and all this is going on as you're developing this business. So then for somebody or something to all of a sudden squash it, you know, I, I get that part. It's like, it could be devastating to a point where you're, you know, like, you know, I put my blood, sweat and tears into this and this is like my livelihood, this is my life. Um, so that's what's going on and that's what a lot of uh, business owners right now are dealing with. A lot of, business owners out there right now that are kind of in a position of like, do I stay or do I go? You know, if you've got invested, I know I have 10 years invested into building the salon 1.0. And, you know, there's nothing about me that's like looking at the coronavirus or the corona economy or the financial, you know, pressure and pain that, that we're all under right now. There's still nothing about me that's saying like I would want to abandon or, you know, give up the vision of building out a company across the globe that's going to help enrich people's lives, help build careers, help launch careers, um, help create community, help service guests, help give people a place um, where they feel like they belong, um, help challenge people. 
You know, I know stylists that have worked in the salon that don't work in the salon. I'm gonna go out on a limb, but I'll tell you right now that if they go, um, you know, in front of the, you know, interviewer and they say, you know, like asking them about their career and their work history, they're gonna say some of the most challenging um, work that they did and, and their, some of their strongest kind of growth periods were gonna be at the Salon 1.0 because, and, and I'm not, I mean, that's you, humble brag or whatever, I'm just saying that's, that is true. And I've even had stylists that I've ran into, you know, years later, two years later, three years later. I just ran into one uh, just recently, you know, in, in Hawaii, and we had that conversation. You know, that those are some of their best years, some of their hardest years, some of their most challenging years, um, some of their most flourishing years. Um, not only the work, the financial work, um, the finances, the work, the financial growth, the uh, personal growth, because that's that's the company, right? So like I think about that, and I'm like, that needs to exist, and I want that to exist, you know, across the globe. So when I look at the coronavirus and I'm like thinking about it, you know, I'm not, I'm not, um, nothing about me is like, yeah, let's, let's throw in the towel, let's quit, you know, nothing about it. And so I definitely um, empathize with her, but at the same time, you know, we're all going through it, right? So it's like, yes, um, there are executive orders. We may not agree with them. We don't want to close down our businesses. Um, we think it's bullshit, the whole, you know, <clears throat> have to stay closed. I'm coming in, I'm practicing sanitation and all that. But at the same time, you know, you kind of put your your local officials in a situation where if you start defying the law or becoming like a nomad, you know, then it's like, oh, well, you know, should I do that? Should I say to hell with the executive order and just open regardless, take the fine, you know, put a lock on the door and do like, I mean, so there's a there's a way to do it. I think we're definitely voicing your opinion and she probably um, tried that as well. I'm not in Dallas, I wasn't there. I just know what I heard from her mouth. I know what I've seen on the news, but I think at the end of the day, it's kind of, it's a tough situation because, the, I mean, trust me, the, the guy, the fire marshal that was in there, you could even see there were some pictures of him with the, um, like his, uh, I don't know if it was his shadow or his, his just his partner. Um, she was in there and she had like, she was looking at the lady and looking at the, the fire marshal, whoever was writing the ticket. And you could even see she kind of felt like, I mean, just her body language was kind of like, yeah, you know, this sucks, this is bullshit, but it, it, we have a stay-at-home order, your, your business isn't supposed to be open, and so he's writing it, and, and I mean, probably reluctantly, maybe they exchanged some words, um, but yeah, you're, you're messing with people's lives, right? You're messing with their livelihood, you're messing with their means to earn, um, and if they don't have any other means to earn, then how long are you expecting people to say okay now I mean a month I thought two weeks was long then a month and now I mean we're gonna be opening soon um, it's gonna be a solid two months you know but after you know that I mean you're you know there's other states there's other cities that are still gonna be closed that may go on to three months or four months um, it can't go on forever I mean the information the knowledge that we're you know consuming and learning about the whole thing has been um, probably the best 
thing because what people are finding out. And so, and then everybody trying to figure out ways, you know, to deal with it. You know, whether it be you're trying to talk to your landlord. Um, you know, there was one, I saw one landlord that uh, he has a bunch of commercial space and he gave like his 200 tenants like no rent. He just waived it. I was like, damn, that's strong. I mean, there's people out there that are trying to do those kinds of things because they get it. They understand like this is an unusual situation. This isn't like, you know, you just uh, made some bad business decisions and now you can't, you know, keep your business open. Your business got shut down. Zero. You went from, I mean, that's like hitting a brick wall. I mean, if you've ever seen those crash dummy tests where they're driving and they're going fast and they they, hit, they run them into the wall to test like the airbags and all that, that's kind of what happened with our economy and with our businesses. You know, so you know there's going to be people that are going to act out in different ways um, that are just getting frustrated. You know, for us, you know, we're trying to maintain, trying to stay positive, trying to um, stay engaged, trying to over communicate with our guests, trying to, you know, do what we can, whether it be from pmtakehome.com and getting our online store moving through gift cards, through um, anything that we can do and within the, you know, within the, the confines of the law and following the orders um, we're doing because we have to keep moving forward, right? There's no other option. We're not just, I mean, we might be stuck, but we're not still. Right, we're gonna keep on moving forward. <clears throat> yeah, so yeah, people just looking at a couple comments here at some salon suites still owning owing and can't pay. Yeah, and their things are getting held hostage. Yeah, you know, like here's the thing. I'm a I'm a tenant and I have multiple leases. I've communicated with some of my landlords and I mean I've communicated with all of them. I should say, but I've communicated with some <clears throat> that aren't as <clears throat> maybe understanding and I get it. You know, they're feeling the pressure, right? They they owe, if they owe the own the building, they owe money to the banks. You know, what I proposed was that, I mean, and the government could do that because those banks got to owe some, everybody owes somebody, right? And if you keep follow the money, follow the money and it's going to go all the way up. <clears throat> so if you start at the bottom, <clears throat> you've got the first dollar that's made in the business. The first dollar goes, it goes through the register. Then that dollar is broken up into, you know, a hundred different parts. And you can call those dollars cents, a hundred different cents. But each one of those parts goes to something and goes to someone and goes to somewhere. So follow the money. If you follow the money from that first dollar, you know, it's going to go, you know, you have your utilities and then who owns those companies and then who owns those companies. Everybody has obligations. So I get it. So the, the easy thing is like if, if the top oblig obligator or obligor or whatever, however the hell you say it, if the top one says, listen, <clears throat> We're going to do a whole pay it forward or pay it downward or pay it, you know, how, whichever direction thing. Then the banks could forgive on the loans. They could do a forgiveness. And then who do the banks own? You got to follow the money. If the banks owe somebody and that person forgives the banks. And if it's the government, if, you know, the federal government, 
forgives, if it's a forgiveness plan, if it's a forgiveness play and everybody decides that they're on board with it and they're going to forgive the other uh, party and then you can pay that all the way down. That can come all the way down to the tenant, to the small business owner, to the the person um, at the very, very bottom, all the way down. You know, and that's the thing. I mean, you've heard those pay it forward where, you know, you're in line at Starbucks or whatever, and then you buy, you start a chain reaction. You buy the person behind you, you pay for your coffee. If you start it, and then you pay for the person in the car behind you, you pay for their coffee. And then what's supposed to happen, the chain of events occurs until it breaks, where then the person behind them pays for the person behind them because they don't have anything to do. And then the person behind them pays for the person behind them. And this can trickle down and it can trickle throughout the entire economy. Uh, that's you know just a common sense solution because I get it. I'm talking to some of my landlords and they're understanding and some aren't and some are you know in between. But it's about like we're all supposedly in this together then let's be in this together. You know, I know from, you know, for us, you know, our payments, you know, our paycheck stopped. Dead stop. Bam! Dead stop. And the little scraps, you know, we're putting together and different things we're trying to do um, isn't going to make up the close the gap. Not in a two-month period when the economy basically comes to a screeching halt. You know, so those are, you know, if you're thinking about it, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that nobody from the, the cabinet and the executive suite is watching Storytime or joining Storytime with Sunny D. But <laughs> if you're thinking about it and wondering like, hmm, what could we do? Because people are pissed, right? People are, I mean, they're feeling it. They're feeling the pain. They're feeling the, um, the pressure, you know, and... I've always tried to maintain a certain level of um, a certain level of like when I look at the business like a level of emotion or I guess you could say non-emotion like businesses do come and go and when I've closed businesses I think the first one just like if you're in a position where you have to let somebody go the first person you ever have to fire or let go it's the hardest if you're you know in the military and you're you know, on the battlefield and you, you know, the first, every, anything the first is always the hardest. The first person you have to shoot, you know, the first uh, arrest the cop has to make, the first, you know, person, you know, the first uh, girlfriend or boyfriend that you break up with. It's always the first is the hardest. So after the first business that I closed, I tried to, I wanted to get to a point where I understood that businesses, I can learn from it. Business is open and business is closed every day. It's a part of the process. And I, I had, you know, kind of to myself, talking to myself about that, like, you know, this won't be the, you know, that this is maybe the first business that you close, but I tell myself this won't be the last. And letting myself know it's not, you know, I mean, I can't, I mean, it hurts still if you have to close a business, but you can't get... Uh, too broken up over it because the show must go on. You have to keep moving forward. You have to keep on keeping on, as they say. 
Um, so when you look at your business, when you look at your uh, your situation, and you know like this is the worst day that's ever been for you, then also in that same period and in that same kind of vein, know that you're becoming stronger, you're gonna become more resilient, and you're gonna be able to deal with things a lot easier or a lot better um, for the next time because it's not gonna be the last. And so that's one thing I can definitely share with you. So that's my little opening monologue I like to do with story time with Sunny D. And today is a special day because yesterday we did episode number 24. Today's episode number 25. We have completely tapped out on the YFYI uh, book series. So the first, you know, couple of, or not the first couple, but the first 23 episodes I was reading to you from my two books, the YFY book series, book one, your first year in the beauty industry, and the second book, your first year in salon ownership. We've read through both of these books. So now what? Yesterday we went into some of the questions and people were talking about the media company first mentality. So I started sharing uh, things from there. And I thought, well, you know, I've got this pretty epic library, right? I've got this pretty epic collection of books. Why not start kind of going into different themes? And so I shared a post just a little bit ago on some of the brands and some of the stories that I wanted to um, start touching on. So we're kind of making a little bit of a pivot into what we're going to do with story time. So I'm gonna do a arching overview of some of those brands today, and we'll start digging into those and we'll be reading some of those stories as we go. Um, so these are books I just plucked out of my library. Um, these are books that I've read, some I've read multiple times, um, because every time I read them, you know, every time you read a book, or you know, watch a movie, or listen to <clears throat> you know, a story, you're gonna be in a different place, unless you're just watching it back to back to back because you just don't know what to do with yourself. But every time you watch it, so like, you know, maybe you have a, a favorite book or a, a series or a movie or, you know, you heard a story a year ago, then when you watch it a year later, you know, you're in a different place in life, so you're gonna start to kind of consume it, even if it's the same way, but you're gonna start to, internally you're going to start to feel different feelings um so that's why a lot of times i'll go back you know and i'll make it a point there's there's a list of books that i make it a point to read like every year because every time i go back i learn new things about myself i'm in a different place in my business i'm in a different place in life um, and i can learn you know lessons and things that hit you that second time that didn't hit you the first time you know things that you're like Oh yeah, I never heard that before. Even though you did, right? Even though you probably heard it, um, you definitely probably heard it, but you didn't hear it because you are in a different place. So those kinds of things happen when you go back through that second time. And so that's why a lot of times I like to enjoy, you know, going back through for the second read and then experiencing those new thoughts. Um, so I'm gonna go through the 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 books that I have here that I picked out and just touch on each of them on today's episode and then we'll get back into uh, one of them you know on the next episode and some of the highlights I want to be able to 
um, pull some of the lessons, things that I either highlighted or things that I learned when I read it, um, and then maybe even share some. Because the cool thing is I'll be going through these before um, every episode and I'll kind of go back through my notes, I'll go back through some of the highlights, and then I'll come back and I'll share on the next episode of Storytime. Um, so the first one up, this book is called Grinding It Out, The Making of McDonald's. Grinding It Out, The Making of McDonald's. It's by Ray Kroc, who if you guys ever seen the movie Founder, um, amazing movie, but when you think about Ray Kroc, Ray Kroc is the guy that met the McDonald's brothers and ended up taking the McDonald's <clears throat> brand and franchising it and turning it into what we know today as McDonald's. Without him, we probably never would have knew about the Golden Arches or anything about it because it was maybe going to stay as maybe a one location restaurant, you know, out in, I think it was in California, and that was going to be the end of the story. So when you go into um, the McDonald's story, and you get into the the origins of it. If you want some information or you want some um, insight, go check out the movie The Founder. Um, so the McDonald's story, I'm just going to give you a little excerpt from here. An American success story. Few entrepreneurs can claim to have actually changed the way we live. But Ray Kroc is one of them. His revolutions in food service automation, franchising, shared national training, and advertising have earned him a place beside the men who founded not merely businesses, but entire new industries. But even more interesting than Ray Kroc, the business legend, is Ray Kroc, the man. Not your typical self-made tycoon, Kroc was 52 when he met the McDonald brothers and opened his first franchise. Now meet Ray Kroc, the man behind the business legend, in his own words. Irrepressible enthusiast, perceptive people watcher, and born storyteller, he will fascinate and inspire you. You'll never forget Ray Kroc. So that's the little ex excerpt from the back of the book. So this is one of the stories, one of the brands that I'm going to be examining in a future episode of Storytime. You know, the, yeah, the original McDonald's Brothers store in San Bernardino, California was an octagonal hamburger factory that kept eight multi-mixers busy. <laughs> so yeah, San Bernardino, California, that was the original one. 15 cents for a hamburger. Can you believe that? But that would have been the, the end of the story. We would have never heard of McDonald's, the franchise, the Golden Arches, none of this um, had not been for the vision of Ray Kroc and starting at 52. So if you guys are thinking, man, I'm getting old. I don't know my idea. My time has passed. Think about that. He met <clears throat> the McDonald's brothers at 52 years old. And he started his first franchise with them. So that's, I mean... And then it, it, you know, built it up. And I forget how old he was uh, when he passed. <clears throat> but he lived a pretty, pretty long life. Let's see if they have that. Uh, it's probably in here. But yeah, 52 years old. It's when he started his first franchise. 
So I want you to think about that. If you're thinking about, oh, I have an idea or I don't know, um, you know, if I'm if if I should do it or you're thinking about you don't have the time or, you know, you're too old. You know, just think about that. So that's one we're going to be going through the McDonald's story. It's going to be awesome. Another one we got here. Made in America. My story. Sam Walton. So, for those of you guys who know the name, maybe you know who Sam Walton is. If you're not sure, just think about the first three letters, W-A-L, Walton, Walmart. And this is the story of Sam Walton. And so this is, a, this is another one, a, as I like to say, a doozy. I learned a ton um, just looking into this whole book and this story. Um, so we're going to go through that. And a lot of you, I mean, if you don't know where Walmart is or what a Walmart is, then you probably, um, you know, you probably either never left your house, you've been still, you've been quarantined a lot longer than the rest of us, or you maybe it's just not in your country. That'd be the only way you don't know. Everybody knows Walmart. So Sam Walton, who started it, it's going to be a lot of. Uh, lessons in this one. I'm going to be excited to go through it and give you a little excerpt here. So meet a genuine American folk hero cut from the homespun cloth of America's heartland. Sam Walton, who parlayed a single dime store in a hard scrabble cotton town into Walmart, the largest retailer in the world. The undisputed merchant king of the late 20th century Sam never lost the common touch. Here, finally, Sam Walton tells his extraordinary story in his own inimitable words. Genuinely modest, but always sure of his ambitions and achievements, Sam shares his thinking in a candid, straight-from-the-shoulder style. In a story rich with anecdotes and the rules of the road of both Main Street and Wall Street, Sam Walton chronicles the inspiration, heart, and optimism that propelled him to lasso the American dream. So that's a little excerpt from Made in America, my story, Sam Walton. I mean, you think about it. I mean, starting a dime, I mean, we're talking like a dime store, a dime store. That's how he started. He had a dime, like it was like a, they had these like five and dime, I mean, you know, little store, convenience store, and then it goes into, you know, where we have it today, which is like, I mean, it's just unbelievable. So that one's gonna be awesome. We're gonna be going through that. <clears throat> uh, do they sell wa walls there? Where, <laughs> yeah, they should, right? Sam Walton. Um, so, and then his, his family now who runs it, you know, and they're, I mean, in like the top 10 you know, richest kind of people in the world, um, still riding off that. But some of the stories in this book are just incredible. Uh, he got a, one time he got arrested, I think down in Brazil. So I'm gonna be sharing some of the stories, um, some of the pickups, the takeaways, the inspirations, and the brand that he built. So that's another one we'll be going through. Um, this one here, this one isn't in his own words. I have a couple different versions. Uh, or a couple different, I guess you could say, versions and stories about it. Um, the other one I have, let me see if I can grab it. Um, this one is, this one I have though is inside Steve's brain. So Steve Jobs, Apple. Um, there's another one. 
There's another one that <clears throat> I have. Let me see if I can if I can grab it real quick. But the story of Apple Computer started started in a garage in California, just some tinkering around and from tinkering around to where we're at today. Um, the story of Steve Jobs. I also have this one, which is Steve Jobs. It's, that's the title by Walter Isaacson. Um, this one was one of the first ones that I read, Inside Steve's Brain by Leander Caney. Um, this one will go into <clears throat> just kind of the, um, a lot of the kind of behind the scenes and early things. And this is like a full-blown biography. So we might be picking out things from both of those. But let me give you a little ex excerpt from this one. It's hard to believe that one man has accomplished so much and influenced so many. In a career that spans four decades, Steve Jobs has revolutionized computers, animated movies, and the music industry. No wonder some people worship him like a god. On the other hand, stories of his epic tantrums and general bad behavior are legendary. Inside Steve's brain <clears throat> cuts through the cult of personality that surrounds Jobs to unearth the secrets to his unbelievable results. <clears throat> so what's really inside Steve's brain? According to Caney, who has covered Jobs since the early 90s, it's a fascinating bundle of contradictions. Jobs is an elitist who thinks most people are bozos, but he makes gadgets so easy to use a bozo can master them. He's a mercurial, obsessive, with a filthy temper, but he forges deep partnerships with creative geniuses like Steve Wozniak, Jonathan Ive, and John Lasseter. He is a Buddhist and anti-materialist, but he produces mass market products in Asian factories and he promotes them with absolute mastery of the crassest medium advertising. In short, Jobs has embraced the traits that some consider flaws narcissism, perfectionism, total faith in his intuition to lead Apple and Pixar to triumph against steep odds. And in the process, he has become a self-made billionaire. Um, so those are just a couple of the excerpts from the author. Um, there's going to be a lot of insights in this book and you know stories that I took away from this book. And like I said, I'll get into uh, probably both of these. Walter Isaacson's biography, he spent a ton of time with him too. So there'll be a lot of fun stuff to learn in that one. On this next one here, the new gold standard, five leadership principles for creating a legendary customer experience. So if you're in the customer facing or guest facing industry, um, there's lots of great companies out here. Um, this is the Ritz Carlton Hotel Company. That's what this one's about. That's the gold standard. And this one, um, this was one of the ones I read early on when I was starting uh, the Salon 1.0. And just some of the things to think about when you're, you're building a business and you want to excel in taking care of guests, taking care of customers. So the five leadership principles that set the gold standard for your industry. <clears throat> Define and refine. Empower through trust. It's not about you deliver wow and leave a lasting footprint so those are the five leadership principles that set the gold standard 
Um, and that's kind of Ritz-Carlton lingo right there. Little excerpt here, discover the secrets of world-class leadership. When it comes to refined service and exquisite hospitality, one name stands above the rest, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. With ceaseless attention to every luxurious detail, the company has set the bar for creating memorable customer experiences in world-class settings. Now for the first time, the leadership secrets behind the company's extraordinary success are revealed. The new gold standard takes you on an exclusive tour behind the scenes of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, granted unprecedented access to the company's executives, staff, and award-winning leadership center. Best-selling author Joseph Michelli explored every level of leadership within the organization. He emerged with key principles that provide a customer experience unlike any other. And here's some of the bullet points. Understanding the ever-evolving needs of a customer, empowering employees by treating them with utmost respect, anticipating customers' unexpressed needs and concerns, developing and conducting an unsurpassed training regimen as well, sharing engaging stories from the company's employees from the corporate office and hotels around the globe. Michelli describes the innovative methods the company uses to create peerless guest experiences and explains how it constantly hones and improves them. Uh, this book was, I mean, it was powerful. I learned a ton. And when you think about these companies, especially like, I mean, two, Walmart, they're still open. Starbucks, I mean, they're kind of open, drive-through. McDonald's, drive-through. So some of these businesses are still able to service people. Apple, they're still selling products online. I'm using one, two, three. I'm using four Apple products right now. <laughs> so they got my business. Um, they're still able to do some business online. Ritz-Carlton, probably one of the hardest hits because hotels closed down. So I'm not sure their properties, how they're doing right now and the Corona economy. Um, but out of the one, two, three, four that I just covered, um, they're still operating at some capacity. So <clears throat> when you think about that, how can we as business owners or small business owners, you know, learn some lessons from them so no matter what kind of economy we find ourselves in, down economy, corona economy, up economy, we can still continue to operate our business and, and generate cash flow and you know, be able to take care of customers, be able to take care of our staff. How can we be a little bit more like these guys? Uh, the next one I got here, this one, everybody knows. You probably experienced their products in some way, shape, or form. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Who loves a nice, refreshing bottle of bubbling sugar? Coca-Cola. I used to drink a ton of soda like when I was growing up, when I was a kid. Probably until I was like, I don't know, early teens, I want to say. I just... One day, I'm not exactly sure what happened. I don't know if somebody told me about it or something. I think I heard like that Coca-Cola could like take chrome off of a trailer hitch because of the the chemical, the acid or something did it where it just like it just turned me off to a point where I was like, "You know what? I'm not drinking soda anymore." And I literally just stopped. Stopped drinking soda. Um, never drink it again. I mean, occasionally, like, I mean, I'm talking like once every few years or if somebody, you know, gave me a Jack and Coke uh, for free, I'm, I never like order it. But if somebody were like, hey, here's the Jack and Coke, I mean, I'll drink it. 
But yeah, I just something happened way back then and I just stopped. Um, but nonetheless, one of the most iconic brands ever. I mean, we're talking ever. You know, thinking about like this, uh, this brand, I mean, it's just so iconic worldwide. You know, so this book is called For God, Country, and Coca-Cola. This is the third edition. It's revised and expanded. So this is the definitive history of the great American soft drink and the company that makes it. So that's what's going on here. And it says right here at the bottom, contains the original secret formula. Whoa. How about that? Um, so there's going to be a lot. We can get some strong takeaways. I mean... You know, we're talking 1886. We're talking in the 1800s, this company was started. 1800s. So if you want to talk about the test of time, you think you're going through it right now? You know, if you're under 30 years old, then, you know, you don't even remember probably like what was popping in the, uh, during the last crisis, during the 2008 you know, financial crisis. If you're under 30 years old, you had no clue what was going on during the, the one before that, which was in 2000 when the dot-com bubble burst. I don't even have a clue about that one. So what do you think is in here? What do you think the people that started this company that built this brand, what do you think their experiences are and how much you could take away from this? And so I will give you a little excerpt here. All right, boom. From its invention, oh, here we go. From its invention as a cocaine-laced patent medicine in the gilded age to its globe-drenching ubiquity as the ultimate symbol of consumer capitalism in the 21st century, Coca-Cola's dramatic history unfolds as the ultimate business saga. In this fully revised and expanded edition for God, Country, and Coca-Cola, Mark Pendergrass looks at America's culture, cultural, social, and economic history through the bottom of a green glass Coke bottle and tells the captivating story of the world's most recognizable consumer product. I mean, that's got to be true. I mean, when you look around, I mean, yes, Apple's iconic. Uh, Walmart, I mean, they're up there. Starbucks, pretty iconic. But I mean, Coca-Cola, I mean, that's one of those where even in the smallest populated areas, you, you know, of the world, you'll somehow, I don't know how they do it, but somehow you'll you'll be in the dusty desert of wherever and you're walking and you'll, there won't be anything going on out there. And you'll find a gas station, and what will they have outside? A Coca-Cola machine. Iconic. So yeah, I would say, I mean, it's pretty unparalleled when you think about it. Yeah, the world's most recognizable consumer product, Coca-Cola. I would, I would say that's fair. Now, here's the thing, guys. A lot of these stories you know, that you're going to be hearing about, right? You're going to go through, we're talking history, but you have to also fast forward and think about today. What's going on? Have they seen market shrink? Sure they have. Have they seen you know, market share be gobbled up by new players entering the game? Sure they have. Whether they be like a soft drink, you know, then, you know, because there's, there's trends and there's fads. 
but you don't end up starting a company in the 1800s that, that's still around today by not being able to innovate constantly, being able to change with times, being able to adjust, being able to open up new markets, being able to do all that stuff. So there's a ton that we can learn uh, from this. So that's gonna be a fun one. And last but not least, <clears throat> speaking of, we just mentioned them, the green lady, Starbucks. If you're listening to the podcast, you didn't see the image, but everybody and their mama knows what that image is about. Um, in this one, I have like two, three, maybe four different books about this company. Um, one of my favorite companies to study. Um, also, you know, I'm drinking little Starbucks right now that I made at home with their Verissimo pods and their Verissimo machine I talked about a couple episodes ago. <laughs> so had to include this. I mean, there are so many that I wanted to include and we'll get into more, but these were like the top ones as I was going through my library. Um, Onward, this is Onward by Howard Schultz, who is the founder, uh, former CEO, he's not the CEO right now, um, of Starbucks. And this story and his stories and his company, you know, from going on a trip, you know, going on a trip over to um, Italy and just getting inspired by the culture of coffee and you know the aromas and how people would congregate and meet and hang out and sip the espressos and all of that stuff getting inspired to come back and start a company um, built around that you know that was really what was going on there now technically he didn't start the company that's a little fun fact um, but he be, you kind of grew it into what it is today. And so when you think about Starbucks, if you've been there, um, if you haven't been there, you know somebody who has, there's always, you know, there's, a, there's two sides. Some people are anti-Starbucks, some people are raging fans, and we'll talk about how that happens too um, in another book that I'm, uh, I'm gonna bring it to you guys. But I'll give you a little excerpt here. So on February 26th, and this is from Onward, so the history of the company, um, we'll get into, but this is on February 26, 2008. Customers at 7,100 Starbucks stores in the U.S. were asked to leave. For the next three hours, every barista in every Starbucks was retrained in the art of making the perfect espresso. The act was unprecedented, but proof of just how dire things were becoming at a company that could once do no wrong. For more than three decades, Starbucks had a storied history of being a great place to work, of ethically sourcing and roasting the highest quality coffee beans, and of crafting beverages for millions of customers who went to Starbucks for coffee and for a sense of community. But by the end, or but by 2008, after years of focusing on rapid expansion, the traits that made Starbucks successful were in jeopardy. Sales started to slide at a distressing rate. The stock price was falling, the company's very survival was at risk. To address the emerging problems, former Chief Executive Officer Howard Schultz, who had stepped aside almost eight years earlier to become chairman after growing Starbucks from 11 stores to thousands, did something no one expected. He returned as CEO to oversee day-to-day -day operations. His goal was not just to stabilize the company, but to transform it by refocusing on core values and reigniting the innovation required to thrive 
and a dramatically shifting marketplace, all while fending off harsh critics and huge competitors. Schultz came back with passion and a plan, and in the course of two years, even in the face of painful revelations about internal troubles and a worsening economy, Starbucks astonishingly returned to sustainable, profitable growth. Onward is the remarkable story of the transformation. Schultz offers readers an extraordinary, intimate look at his daily decision process from closed-door planning sessions in Seattle to conversations with coffee farmers in Rwanda to investor presentations in New York during the worst of the economic turmoil. So that's a little bit about this. Now, I've got like three or four different books about the company, but this one was at a turning point. So if you think about where we're at right now, um, we're all kind of in this turning point. Um, this, what could you learn from this guy in this book, especially about the leadership that it takes? Because he came back in 2008. I was just getting the company started in 2008. It was the economic downturn. And his company was on, I mean, a lot of people don't even remember that. Like that his company was on its heels. I mean, they were going down. I remember though, the day that they shut down all the Starbucks and it was like everyone's freaking out. And I wasn't really a huge Starbucks person then. I like knew of the company, but I didn't really know that much about it. I never like went there every day. And they shut them all down. And they were like retraining everybody how to make the perfect espresso. And everybody was like coming, like had people that I worked with like freaking out, like Starbucks is closed, Starbucks is closed. Like, like what do you mean? They like went out of business? Um, but that was from that. So thinking about your leadership ability right now, if you're leading a team, a small team, you're on a team, um, you're still a leader regardless. Um, but what could you learn about that? And this is especially relevant right now, and that's why I picked this one, because we're going through a time right now where we're coming back, there's a lot of things up in the air. There's a lot of questions. Are my customers coming back? Am I coming back? Is my business gonna be open? Is it gonna close? Um, should I find another job? Um, should I, what should I, should I, should I, should I? So he came out of retirement. He's like, you know what? I'm not letting, you know. And so that's an incredible number one. Um, number two, how he navigated through that patch over those couple of years when everything was, because Starbucks, it wasn't like you had to have it. So that's an easy one to cut out in a corona economy if you're feeling a pinch there's a lot of services and products you could get rid of you don't even need uh, my industry is being threatened of course with people thinking hmm if i did a color at home that was pretty good do i need to go spend x amount of dollars every few weeks so what kind of value and confidence are you going to be able to build in your customers and in your guests that are gonna want them to continue to do business with you and he did a hell of a turnaround um, so that's one of those things to think about. All of these books, we're gonna be going over um, and going through and going this, through the stories, the brands, and the lessons on these future coming episodes. So right now, as we're making this pivot in story time, I'm excited to share some of these things with you. So hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Hope you enjoyed this uh, 30,000 foot overview of the pivot of story time and things to come. I'm excited to share these stories with you and a lot more on the next episode. So make sure you're joining in uh, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Uh, we'll be here live, live, live on Instagram, on Facebook page one, Facebook page two, on Twitter, if you're listening to the live stream there or on the YFY podcast. If you wanna take me on the go, check out yfypodcast.com for all current and past podcast episodes. 
Um, other than that, you guys, it's Friday, so there's a party tonight. We'll be at the club. Doors open at 6 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be back here live. Tonight, we've got a treat for you. PMTakeHome.com is going to be taking you through getting your hair ready and repaired to come out of quarantine and to come back out into the world. So tune in for that. Me and my co-host Josh will be doing that tonight. And then we've got another big party coming up next week um, as we get ready to all to come back out. We'll talk more about that later. So thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for waking up early. No matter where you are, if you're an hour, two hours, three hours behind, thanks for hanging out. And look forward to seeing you guys back for story time Monday morning at 9 a.m. Thanks for watching and or listening. And I will talk to you guys soon. Hey guys, Sunny here again. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And that was just the tip of the iceberg. I'm excited to do a deep dive on all of these different brands and more. If there's any specific brands that you're interested in learning more about, reach out to me, send a comment, make a comment on the post, let me know and we'll take a look at that and we'll put some of that on our schedule as well. If you want more information on any of the YFY books, check out yourfirstyearin.com. And for all past episodes and future coming episodes of the YFYI podcast, you can always tune in to yfyipodcast.com. And lastly, if you've already done this, I thank you. If you haven't had a chance to review or rate the podcast in the podcast store, please do so because that's going to help the podcast get discovered by all kinds of listeners that are out there and they can join us on our YFYI crusade. So thanks again for tuning in guys to the YFYI podcast. And remember, this is the podcast where you come to learn how to build your business right once or else you will be doomed to have to build it again. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you soon.